you'll love it. You'll enjoy it. Come and party twice. What do you reckon? Come on. <laughs> so this morning, look, I, I, I want to share um, around the, the whole area of handing on the baton. You know, Stephen Becks, uh, we will be able to get some feed and we'll put it up live. Uh, we'll put it up uh, later on, um, on on Facebook so you can, you can watch it if you don't get a chance to watch it now or in the next service called to ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, meaning he, he created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the plan that you are walking out is what God has prepared for you. Now, if we can find ourselves walking in step with his plan, there's joy, there's fulfillment, there's energy that we sense when we're walking in God's plan and fulfillment. And our prayer and our hope is that on Anointing Sunday, that as, as, as we pray for you, that you would find the step that God has for you for this year, that you would step with a confidence into 2020, into this decade, knowing that you're walking the path that God's got for you. None of us were created to drift aimlessly or selfishly through a meaningless existence. You know, we're created on purpose for a purpose, to love God and to love people. Each of us as followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, have been gifted with natural and spiritual gifts to bless the world we live in. But as we learned last week, the power and the effectiveness of our gift is only when we surrender to God. When we go out on our own and we try to make it work and we try to get it all right, we fall continuously. But when we continually come for my life, then we walk out the fulfillment of His will. This morning, as we consider 2020, I want us to look at one of the heroes of the Bible, a man who simply trusted God, walked out his unique calling to bring hope to the nation of Israel. On Anointing Sunday, I want to encourage each one of us with three practices of a mighty man, a hero in the faith, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king a role that was held by an officer of high rank. He was to guard against poison in the king's cup. So that meant that sometimes he had to drink potentially a death sentence. How many people like that job? It's it's kind of like the the Secret Service equivalent of taking a bullet for the president. You don't throw in yourself knowing you will die if you put yourself in harm's way. Now that was the responsibility of Nehemiah. The king would only pick somebody who he trusted implicitly. When we look at the position Nehemiah held, it could be easy to turn a blind eye when news of the destruction of Israel, of Jerusalem, came to him. He was in a very important privileged position, and he could have said, well, my job here is important. The breakdown, the the destruction, um, the the ruins of Jerusalem, that's got to be somebody else's problem. But that wasn't Nehemiah's response. Let's read the first chapter of Nehemiah this morning, and I think we've got the notes up on the screen, hopefully. In the month of Kislev, and the twenty one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard them days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Would you pray with me this morning? as we look at Nehemiah's life. Father, we thank you for anointing Sunday. Thank you for an opportunity for us again to step into your will and your purpose for our lives. Lord, as we look at Nehemiah and the way he lived his life and the way he served people, God, would we be inspired to do the same? In Jesus' name, amen. As we pray for you this morning, 
that all you would do in 2020 would be like Nehemiah. Here are three focuses I believe we can take from him. The first thing Nehemiah had was a passion for God's kingdom. He had a passion for God's kingdom. When Nehemiah heard that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down, the gates were burned with fire, we see he sat down and wept. He sat down and wept. He he even showed his sorrow to the king, which wasn't a very wise thing to do. See, in the king's presence, you were supposed to be filled with joy. You, you were supposed to be happy. You weren't supposed to give the king anything to be concerned about, even your own personal problems. If you did, you could potentially face death. I think we could sad people, upset people in work, workplaces, death or fired. You know, what do you reckon? I'm not sure how that would go down. But he presented himself to the king in a state of sorrow. The king, rather than killing him, kind of like going on. Bill Hybels used to talk about a, a holy discontent. What is it in us that, that causes our, our heart to go, no, no, that's wrong. What is it that, that in the world that you see, that you experience, causes your spirit to go, I've got to do something about that. For me, broken families, that, that wrecks me. When I see husbands and wives saying, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to separate. That wrecks me. It's like, this this is why we do what we do for families. So that we would see families strong and together. Well, Nehemiah, he had a holy discontent. His holy discontent was to see the walls of Jerusalem broken down, to see the temple destroyed. And he said, that is not right. I've got to do something about that. As you walk into 2020, what is your holy discontent? What is it in your workplace? What is it in your streets, in your neighborhood, in your sports fields, in your schools? What is it that you see that, that your spirit says, no, no, I've got to do something about that. Injustice, how do we respond? In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called a number of people blessed, hashtag blessed. And blessed are those poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, that they would be comforted, he, was, he told them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, they would see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many people love to be blessed? Love it when blessings kind of come our way. I, I like being blessed. Love it. In fact... But often there's a a cost to the blessing. We get the blessing, but it often comes at a cost. When God's kingdom is our focus, we're prepared to sacrifice our own comfort, our own gain, justice for the sake of others. In our homes and our workplaces, let God's kingdom as practices, as values, let that be the primary focus and target, not for ourselves, but for His sake that His kingdom, God's kingdom, would be first, that we would seek His kingdom first, all its righteousness and all of these things, all of, the, all of the desires, the dreams in our heart. God takes care of all of those when we put His kingdom first. Good focus for all of us. The second thing we see in Nehemiah is his commitment to pray. Pray first. Uh, we've preached this message and we'll continue to preach it probably once a year. 
The importance of having a lifestyle of prayer that says, I will pray first. The thing we see about Nehemiah, he was a man of prayer. Nehemiah 1.4, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then later when he presents himself to the king, we read, the king said to me, what is it you want? So he said, you're sad, you're full of sorrow. What is it that you want? And this is his response. He didn't say anything. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. It's like before I respond with anything selfish or anything that I might want, I'm going to go to God. Because the king's just asked me, what do you want? How many people know the king's got a lot of power? How many people know the king can, can give away a lot of his kingdom if he needs to? So Nehemiah had right before him an opportunity, and yet his first response was, I'm going to pray first. And I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then later on, there's, there's opposition. How many people know when you start to walk out the things of God that there's opposition that comes your way? Everything is going okay until, until you actually start to make ground and then you just feel like there's a battle going on. Sam Ballard and Tobiah, they, they were jealous of Nehemiah, the role that he had and the role that he carried. And so they came and they challenged the very work that Nehemiah was doing. But Nehemiah 4.9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Two very practical things there. Prayed, and then action. Not the other way around. See, when we pray first, sometimes we do have to take a step. Sometimes we do have to go to war. Sometimes we do have to stand up and be strong and, and, and actually stand for the things that matter. But, but first we pray. First we get our hearts in a place where we would hear God's will in God's purpose. In recent years, I've made it a practice in my life, wherever possible, to pray first. We've taught on this before and we'll continue to teach on this. Talk to any of our team. Anytime we meet, what do we do first? We pray first. We pray first. Why? Because I don't have the answers. Do you? I don't have enough wisdom. I, 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 don't, I don't have all the answers that I need to make the decisions I need to make every day, but God does. And the Bible tells us in James, if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God and he will give it to us. I think that sounds like a pretty good deal. But so often we're sitting there with wisdom available to us, but we don't ask. So we ask, we ask, we pray first. Can, can I tell you, I have avoided many. I've also made plenty of stupid decisions. When I spoke before I prayed, can I get a witness to that one? <laughs> I've seen potentially aggressive conversations settled as God's invited peace and presence fills a room. Why do I pray first? Because I believe when I ask God to come in the fullness of his presence, he does. When I pray, I say, God, we, we need your presence. We need your wisdom. See, when he comes, he comes in the fullness of his presence. What does the fullness of God's presence look like? Healing, peace, wisdom, love, forgiveness. When we ask for God's presence, all of that is available in His fullness. So if we are lacking in anything, if we pray first, that's what we'll receive. I remember a situation a few years ago, a, a difficult conversation with somebody who quite honestly, if, if I'd asked for human advice, Quite possibly, they would have said, yeah, you should 
take every action you can. Fortunately, I prayed first because I didn't like what was coming out of my heart. Didn't like the words that were coming out of my mouth towards this person. Ever have heard the audible voice of God, but over 40 years of praying and, and, and learning to, to trust God, I'm getting pretty good at knowing when God's speaking to me. As I fumed and as I built my case for dismantling this person, I felt God ask me a question, do you love them? I'm like, no, I don't. Right now, I, I'm thinking bad things about them. And that's, that was the honest truth. Then I felt that kind of nudge of God, then don't meet with them. Because if you don't love them, what will the outcome of this meeting be? You just put your anger against their anger, and no one's going to budge. So I prayed for them. It took me about a week, because I was angry, didn't like them much. But by the time we had our meeting, and they came in, and Amy and I met with this person, they brought in a support person because they were ready for battle. And we prayed. God, we need your wisdom. We need your peace. The outcome was so different to what they thought was going to happen and what we probably thought was going to happen. For words were spoken, but there was, there was love in it. And uh, to this day, there's still a relationship. There's, there's, there's still an ability to, to, to work together. That's why I pray first, because if I just go with my human wisdom, I'm just going to mess a bunch of people up. And I do too much of that anyway. So uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm hearing God's heart. When I pray first, I, I pray to check my motive. God, please show me your will in this situation. I, I also ask the question, do I genuinely want the best for them and for the kingdom? Or am I just trying to win a battle? Am I trying to justify my position? Uh, it's an interesting one. Everything goes quiet when we think that way. Here's another one. This is what I'm asking too. Could I be wrong? Could I be wrong in the situation? Could I be the one at fault? Could, could I be the one that's, that's missed the mark? And, and, and could I be the one that actually turns this whole conversation around by saying, I am so sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Come on. When we're prepared to say whatever comes out of this conversation, we want God's kingdom to be built first. We want his will, his purpose, even if it means I'm wrong and I've got to take responsibility for it. Can I tell you my perspective shifts when, when it actually the best outcome is, is God's best outcome? Then I don't have to fight in a conversation. I, I, I get to listen. I get to hear wisdom and, and, and speak it. Give an apology if that's what's required so that I could be a blessing to them. The last thing we see in Nehemiah, and I, I close with this, and we're going to go into a time of anointing uh, everybody in just a moment. The third thing we get to do is we get to build with others. So when our focus is on God's kingdom first, when it's praying first, another focus we need to have this year is building with others. We need to build with others. Ne Nehemiah 2, 17 to 18 he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. 
in the third chapter, we, we read how the people built the wall together. And, and something that leapt out at me about five years ago was the significance of them building together. So each family had a part of the wall that they had to build together. That, that's at the height of the wall, building it. And, and that's what we're all called to do. Each of us as families are called to build a part of God's kingdom. But when you're talking about a wall that, that would, would, would keep people safe, would, would build community, would, would, would allow the presence of God to be within the city, there's a point where one brick is laid alongside somebody else's brick. And this is why small groups for us are so important, that you can't build in isolation. But when we build into other people's lives, when we allow our life to be a part of somebody else's life, there's a strength. You know, when I lay my life alongside somebody else's and we allow the koinonia, the, the, the knitting together, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, when we allow that into our world and that becomes the, the glue or the mortar that, that, that joins us together, we get to build something of significance something far greater than we could ever build on our own. And I want to encourage you this year to begin to pray strategically into the people God is asking you to build with. I believe there's people in this room here that haven't met yet, and your destiny is to meet this year. Your destiny is to connect because that person holds something that you need in your life, and you hold something that that person needs. I've heard people say, I don't need a small group. I'm okay with Because we might just need you. We might just need your wisdom and your experience and your knowledge. We might just need you to stand alongside somebody who's just taking their first steps with God. So really, there there are no real excuses. And this is me with a heart of love saying to the whole group. Some of the things we face, fear. Maybe you've been hurt in the past. But I truly believe The answers we will find as we do life together. Freedom comes when we have some people in our world that know what's going on. I've got some close friends that they text me and I text them. Just get a little feeling about something going on in their world. Hey, how you doing? Oh, so thankful for your text. So appreciate it. Come on, we need to make a commitment this year. And for some of us, it's a bold step. So go on, grab a bit of the picnic later. Go and sign up, be a part of a small group. Don't build alone. So this morning as a, as a team karma, team come and play even behind. Um, we're going to be praying for all of our, um, our, our, our team that are going to minister. Um, but before we do that, I, I want to give an opportunity as we always do. An opportunity for people to connect with a God that loves them. To, to receive a gift called salvation. The Bible tells us that, that God created the universe, and the desire, the purpose of creation was that, that man would walk with God. But man sinned. Man chose to, to, to go against what God said was right. And in that sin, there was a separation. God had to remove them from the garden so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and be in sin forever. And so because of that, God had to put in a rescue plan. That rescue plan came in the name and the form and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life. He died a death that he didn't deserve to die on a cross. 
And in dying on the cross, He made a way for every lost person to be found. I'm one of those lost people. And in this room, there's hundreds of people who were once lost but are now found. Dead in sin but now alive in Christ. And an invitation I extend to you to pray a prayer. To say, Jesus, I haven't got what it takes, but you do. I'm dead in my sin. Would you make me alive in you? With every head bowed, eye closed. I want to pray a prayer and invite you to join me with that. Thank you for your great love for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, please forgive me for all of my sin, for living selfishly. I choose to follow you, to turn from my old way of living, and to walk in your steps. Thank you for your gift of salvation. I receive it today. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We don't want to embarrass anyone, but we'd love you to do one brave thing. We want to connect with you and and, and help you take your next step with God. So right across this room, with every head bowed, eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe God has drawn you back, today is a new step for you. Can I encourage you, please, just to lift your hand in the air. Someone's going to spot your hand and you can pop it back down. Fantastic. Come on, anyone else this morning saying yes, coming back to God? 